For our time in here, we're going to be in Mark 4. So please turn your Bibles to Mark 4. We'll be beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 20. I'll read our passage for us and then we'll pray. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very loud, large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, and in teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, And they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, Lord, because we understand that apart from you, we can do nothing. Would you help us to understand the purpose of all parables and the purpose of this parable and what it teaches about the Christian life? That it's not a mere response. It's not an external appearance. Rather, it's a life shaped and moved and motivated by you. And it's a life that is fruitful in you. I pray that we would be plants that are fruitful in good works and faithfulness to you. Lord God, we ask for your grace in this time. We love and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If there's a theme throughout this scripture, that would be it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And what Mark is getting to and what he's describing what Jesus said is that Jesus wants to find out who is truly listening, who is truly hearing what he is saying. Now you might say that's a strange thing for Jesus to focus on. Many people are listening and there's a large crowd who's able to hear him. But what Jesus is going to focus on and what this parable is really about is even though you might hear And I want many of you to hear this, truly hear this. You don't really perceive. You don't really understand. Because the whole point of this parable that Jesus is going to tell is if you truly do hear, if you actually hear the word of God, and this is why even preaching this word is a great danger for many of you right now, if you truly hear the word of God, then your life will be transformed. It'll be different. It'll look different when you walk out of these doors. It won't just be a consistent, oh, I come to church on Sunday and I pray every once in a while. No. It'll be a completely different life. The way that he talks about right here is that someone's going to bear fruit. And I know the great difficulty of hearing this word. Interesting fact, this scripture is the very first scripture that I ever memorized in my life. But what's interesting about it, at the time when I memorized it, I was at the most lost I've ever been. I memorized it my freshman year of college and did not love Jesus, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And I want to show you that something right there is you could hear this right now and not hear it at all. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's our scene for us. Jesus has a large crowd following him. He's beside the Sea of Galilee, which is where most of this ministry has been taking place to this point. And a lot of people have been hearing about the miracles. They've been hearing about the wonders. And because of the things he's been doing, he has a large crowd who wants to listen to him. And so look with me at verses 1 through 2. He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into the boat and sat in it on the Red Sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them. Now we're going to come to the teaching in a second. But I want you to just think about the scene for a moment. He has all these people coming to him. And you would think that Jesus probably wants to teach something that's going to attract these people. That Jesus is going to teach something that's going to keep drawing them to follow him. You're thinking Jesus might use some eloquent words. You're thinking Jesus is going to use some awesome way to speak to them. Because what this is right here, the scene, is it's like Easter Sunday. It's like Easter Sunday. Everybody's in there. Everybody's packed in the place. And he wants to draw them in, at least we think. That's how I want to appeal to people when there's a lot of people around. But what we see about Jesus, and this is interesting, is when he has a large crowd, is he's not like many of us. He does something very different. He does something than we would expect. And he ends up giving them this story that's very strange and unusual. Now, we don't think it's strange and unusual because we've heard this story over and over again. But just listen. Think about this. All people are coming. Jesus, what are you going to say to me? What are you going to tell me? And he says this, verse 3. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, 
And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, most of us, we just think, well, that makes complete sense that Jesus used that parable. But to his audience, I want to tell you, they're thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? That makes no sense why you shared that. And you might be thinking, well, of course that makes sense. And the reason why we think it makes sense is because we've heard the interpretation of it and we've already read that into it, or you've heard someone preach on this passage before and you think, oh yeah, I get exactly what that means. But his audience would have no idea. Because what did Jesus do? He basically came up and gave a sermon, and the sermon was an illustration except there was no introduction and there was no afterthought to it. There was no text connected to it. He just said it. It would be kind of like if I came up here and gave you an illustration without giving you a text at all. And some of you think, man, your sermons are difficult enough to understand as they are. How is that going to work? But think about this. If I just came up here and I said, there was a man who went into his office place and he went to go make a sale but he found out that the place that he was trying to sell it to had already accepted a product from a different seller. And then he called another person. But then he found out that that person had no need, and so he was not able to make a sale. And then he got in contact with another person who was buying the product, and that person talked to him for a while, and he thought that he was going to sell it, but he said that his cost was too high at the end of the day. And then he had made one last sale, and he, called that per- he had to make one last sale, called one person, and that person bought the product. And then I just walked away. What would you think? You would be like, what in the world did that guy just do? That made absolutely no sense. Now the reason why that makes no sense is because we understand our day. We understand the analogy, the illustration that I gave you was just a common workplace, a common job that many people um, have today. But why would I share it? For these people, they'd be wondering the exact same thing. Why did Jesus say that? What's going on there? Because all this is, is a common analogy for a workplace. And then think about what he says right here at the end of verse 9. This is so interesting. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, figure it out. Did you get that? He just says, figure it out on your own. You don't know what I'm talking about. Figure it out. So what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you sharing this parable? What's going on right here? What I want to say is Jesus is going to tell us why he's sharing the parable. Jesus is going to tell us the purpose of the parable right here. But before we get into the interpretation, we just have to understand why he tells all parables. And I want to ask you real quick. Why do you think Jesus talked in parables? Why do you think Jesus told parables? Why do you think he went up to the crowd and said things like this? I think most of the time, you don't need to respond. I think most of the time what we would say is we would say something like this. Oh, it was a really convincing teaching technique. Or it was a way to reach the masses. 
because he made it in a way that was understandable or palatable for them to understand. But remember right there, three through eight, that makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. And what I want to tell you is the reason why Jesus teaches in parables, the reason why Jesus talks this way is very different from that common assumption that we have. Look at me, look with me at the text at what he says. So this is the purpose of the parables and why he teaches with them. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And so 12 come up to him and a few others are like, Jesus, what is this the kind of thing? Like what's going on? Kind of obviously like some of you say to me, sermon, what are you talking about? Verse 11, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Hear that. Jesus starts off by saying, because there's two kinds of people. There's a reason why I'm speaking in parables. And he says, for you disciples, notice what he's saying, for you disciples, for you who are coming and asking the question, for you who are coming to me, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. What are the secrets of the kingdom of God? The secrets of the kingdom of God is that Jesus Christ has come in fulfillment to all the Old Testament scriptures and has come as the Messiah. And he says, for you, it's been able to be known. It's been able to be seen. And you are the ones who are actually gonna get it. But then this is interesting. He says, that's for you. But for those outside, everything is in a parable. Everything is in a parable. Wait. He told the parable for these people. Why? Verse verse 12. They're on the outside. They're not getting it. So they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Why did Jesus tell the parable? Well, he told the parable in one sense for the disciples to come ask so he could reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God to them as he's gonna do in a second. But why he told the parable is to blind everybody else. This is unusual and I want you to think about this. He's telling this parable not to attract, not to get a bunch of people to come in and follow him. Instead, what he's saying is, you people over there, you're on the outside. You don't know me. And why I'm telling this parable is essentially to blind you so that you won't actually be able to understand who I am and so that you will actually be sent away. And what we're gonna reveal later in this parable is what the parable is all about is that the people who are going to be sent away are the first three seeds the one who have the seed taken away from them, the one who have the seed scorched, the one who have the seed wrapped up by thorns and choked out. These are the people who are being concealed the kingdom of God. And you say, well, that's a strange thing. That's an unusual thing for Jesus to do. But what Jesus is doing right here is he's saying the kingdom of heaven is for the good soil. We need to get this. 
The kingdom of heaven is for the disciples. The kingdom of heaven is for the people who are going to come up and follow me. The kingdom of heaven is for the people who are going to come and actually live a different life like the disciples are doing right here, actually coming and pursuing it. And they're the good soil that produces fruit. And you'll say, well, okay, how does that apply to today? Consistently, consistently, whether for better or worse or greater or lesser, we preach the word of God here. I preach the word of God. And the purpose is not for us to just hear. The purpose is not for us to just say, oh, we heard something. Instead, that's what happens most of the time. Is most of the time it's just this kind of mere listening. And what happens most of the time is there's no application. There's no actual abundance of fruit, actual growing. And what Jesus says right here to his parable is this parable is concealing it all, it's not revealing it to you, and you're not getting the truth. You're not actually understanding the kingdom of God. And what this means is for us in our preaching, in our teaching, is there should be something that comes away from it. Instead, what happens most of the time is there's no response. There's no life change in our lives. Oftentimes, the things I preach about, and you probably get tired and irritated of me talking about these things, are Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, worship, coming and attending Sunday school, coming and attending Wednesday nights, not out of legality, but out of a change of life. But you know what happens? Nothing. Majority of time, this place is not changed. And what's really sad about this parable right here, and you need to get this, what Jesus is doing in this parable is not just for the lost world. It's sadly, and it's not supposed to be, it's actually what's happening right here in the church. Is some of you, you're gonna hear this, and it's gonna be concealed to you. Nothing will change. Nothing will be different. You will walk out the door the exact same way and come back next Sunday or not next Sunday or not in two Sundays or not in a month from now, whenever it is, on your convenience, and nothing will change. And Jesus just wants to say, yeah, the parable's for you. Why? Because you're kept out of the kingdom of God. Did we get the reality, the weight of that? The weightiness of that truth. That if you are not good soil, like the disciples are who are coming up and asking and wanting life change and wanting something different to happen in their life and wanting something new, you're like the other soil. And it's not just that you're not growing. It's not just that you're not growing like the soil is going to be revealed to do. It's that the kingdom of heaven is shut to you. Did we get that? If we don't, we need to talk about that. Because what's happening right here is Jesus saying, yeah, you can come and you can hear me over and over again. And I want to say, you can come and you can hear and hear and hear and hear for the rest of your life. Some people have been in this church for 30, 40 years and all they've done is hear. 
but they're not good soil because they don't produce any fruit. And nothing has changed. If you have the kingdom of heaven revealed to you, something's going to change. Where do you get that from, Brother Robert? Right here in Jesus' interpretation. So we've seen the parable. purpose of the parable is not to reveal like we think, but to conceal. Look in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And then he begins to explain. The sower sows the word. So here's the imagery and here's the illustration that he's using. He's going to interpret for you. And so if you're thinking, so some of you should be thinking, this is all in parables to me. None of this convicts me. None of this changes me. None of this moves me. How do I get on the other side where it changes me? You need to listen to the parable. You need to listen to Jesus' teaching where it's no longer going to be actually concealed, but it's actually going to be revealed to you. So the sower sows the word. This is the idea that a messenger is going out to go and share the gospel. The picture right here of the sower is someone who would go across the land and before anything had been tilled, before the land had been cultivated, he would sow regardlessly. He would sow among rocks. He would sow among thorns. He would sow where the sun was scorching down. He would sow where birds were. He would sow on good soil. He would sow wherever. And what would he sow? He would sow the wonderful, delightful truth of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He would go and he would spread about the Messiah who was coming into the world or who had came into the world and had delivered his people from their sins by the message of his perfect life and his atoning death for them and was raised from the grave for their sake. He would go and sow that message to everyone, everywhere. And we need to be people who will do it. The problem is people don't respond as we think they would. People do not respond to the sowing of the word as oftentimes we wish or as we hope. And verse 15 is the beginning of this. And what I want to say, I already said this once in a way, is this parable right here is not meant to be for the church. It's not supposed to be for the church. And what I mean by that is this should not be an illustration of what the church is like. The church is supposed to be a body of believers whose life is changed and renewed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so they live a different way. But sadly, this is probably more relevant to the church than other places. Sadly. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan, sorry, yeah, the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So here goes the sower going and sowing, and he's going and spreading out the gospel to people. But immediately, just as he's talking to people, Satan begins to interfere. And this is what's going to happen right now. This is such a crazy thought to think about. Is some of you just heard the message of the gospel? just heard about Jesus Christ's life and death, the fact that you were under, sorry, and here's, here's why the gospel is so important. You were under the wrath of God and Jesus delivered you from it. And some of you have never responded to it and some of you, that word that I just said meant nothing. Why did it mean nothing? Because Satan took it away. It didn't sink in. It didn't hit. 
It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't move you at all. And Satan comes and snatches away. This is the majority of conversations I have. I teach in a Christian school, and I have these conversations weekly with students. And I will tell students over and over and over and over again about the wonderful joys and truths and pleasures of the gospel. And it's an amazing truth. And I can't help but get excited about it. And then I look at them and they just say, so what? And some of you are sitting here saying the same thing. Or you're thinking it. So what? Satan snatches away. Spiritual warfare. The sower continues to sow though. Verse 16 And these are the ones on the rocky ground. And so he's going to another place, rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. That's awesome. Because even thinking about this, these people, and I love when I get to see this, and I see it oftentimes, I see this, is people, they'll hear the gospel, and they'll hear the wonderful news of a Savior who's come in their place, and they'll say, ah, I get eternal life. Life. And they'll say, yes, that's a good thing. And they'll believe it and they'll accept it. And we'll look at those people and we'll say, ah, yes, they're a believer. But what the parable of the sower is going to show, and this is what we need to get, is a momentary joy, a momentary response does not mean a person is saved. That's what he's going to come to here. A momentary even excitement. And I've seen people get really excited for a moment about the gospel. Maybe some of you in your life have gotten really excited about a moment for the gospel. does not mean we're truly saved. I preach on this all the time, and it's not the idea that we're saved by works. You are saved by the grace of God alone, no doubt about it. But if the grace of God is in you, it could not just be for a moment that you experience joy. It could not be. Instead, it will preserve you, and you will persevere on to the end, even through what comes right after this. Verse 17. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. So they're excited, but then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. And this is what happens. If someone will come to Jesus Christ and they'll think, oh yes, Jesus saves me. It's all sunshine and rainbows. And it's not. It's not at all. And sometimes people, even in our Christian lives, will ask, why is it that these tribulations, why is it that these trials are coming upon me? Why are these things happening? I'm not saying you should never ask that, but you should remember, God never promised you they would not come. No, great trials and tribulations are coming upon you. And if you persevere, it will show that you have a genuine faith. But if when trials and tribulations come, you falter and you fade away, it'll show that faith isn't real. Whenever I share the gospel with someone and someone responds, and I want to say someone is very rare, like it's probably one out of 20 or 30 times, I don't know exact statistics, but it's probably one out of 20 or 30 times someone responds. But then I always warn them with this. I always say to them, brother or sister, I'm so glad you're responding to the gospel right now. But what I need you to know is something's going to happen in a week, 
two weeks, a month, maybe six months down the road that's going to say, hey, don't follow Jesus anymore. Something's going to intimidate you. Something might even attract you away from the gospels we're going to see here in a second. And I plead with them. I say, hey, remember how precious Jesus is to you right now? Please believe that then because you won't want to later on. I warn them and I warn them and I warn them because I know this is coming. And if you're someone who's responded to the gospel, this is coming to a lesser or greater extent. I can think of what just took place over this past weekend. There's a local Christian school in our community that was teaching historic, orthodox, biblical teaching on sexuality and gender in their school. And local news sources got a hold of this and people are asking them to recant. People are asking them to take away their teaching. People are asking for people to get fired at that local school. Don't worry, it's not my school. Even though it could be. Very easily could be. And I guarantee those teachers are feeling the pressure. They're feeling the heat. And they're probably asking, is it worth it? Is it worth holding on through these trials and these difficulties? If it's coming for them now, it's going to be coming for us tomorrow. And if you think, as a Christian, you can escape the trials and tribulations that are going to come for you, you're deceived. They will come in one way or another. The privileging that has happened in this country to Christians over the last 200, 300 years, however long it's been, is very rare. It will come. And it is coming. Will you hold fast? Because a momentary response will not save. It will not save. But notice what happens in verse 18. If Satan can't get you to fall away with trials and tribulations... He's going to tempt you with treasures. He's going to attempt to draw on your affections. If he can't scare you out of following Jesus, he's going to lead you himself. He's going to draw you out of it yourself by your own desires. Notice what it says. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. So they've heard the word, and it's likely that they've probably also responded at this time. But they're among thorns. And I want you to listen in verse 19 how thorns are described here. Because it's not like what we would think. We would think thorns, oh, painful, ouch, that's going to be torturing, that's going to be really difficult. No, that's not it. Um, the thorns are described very different. They're not the trials, they're not the tribulations. It's very different. Verse 19, but the cares of the world I take that to mean the love for the world. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. What does Satan do? Satan doesn't try to make it really difficult for you. He tries to put something different in front of you and say, hey, this is better this money over here that you could have, it's better. This inheritance over here, it's better. This woman over here that you could have, it's better. 
this house, this lifestyle, whatever it is, it's better. And you could forsake Christ, the treasure of all life, and have this treasure, and it would be better. And the problem is, many of you will buy it. Many people will buy it. Let me just give you two ultimatums to show this real quick. If, and I'm not saying you have to do one or the other as if they're polar opposites, but if you could have one or the other, think about it. Let's imagine you reach retirement. And this illustration comes from a pastor named John Piper. Let's imagine you reach retirement. And you could go down to Florida, and you could go down to the beach and live there in a house with a boat for the rest of your days. And you could go play golf every day, eat seafood every night, hang out with friends and play games and whatever else it is that you like to do and go pick up seashells. Wouldn't that be awesome? Some of you are like, yes. Or, you could go over to Malawi, Africa. Or you could go down to Nicaragua, South America. Or you could go to inner city Louisville to a church that really needs some service and dedicate your life to the purpose of the gospel. And be spent and sacrifice your life over and over and over, thousand times over, and even die there in the mission field. Which one do you want? Which one you choose says a lot about what you treasure. And it says you're being either, it says either you're going to pursue Jesus through the thorns or the thorns are going to take you away. The thorns are going to entice you. They're going to captivate you. They're going to draw on your heartstrings so hard and you're going to say, oh, I want my shells at the beach. It'll lead you away. It will lead you away. And there's one person among all the soil, or there's one soil, and the soil is the people. There's one person who actually perseveres. It's not the person who has the word taken away from them. It's not the person who responds for a moment. It's not the person who's drawn away by the privileges of life. Instead, it's the one who's fruitful. Fruitful. And look at this. Verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil, that's the good people who are receiving the gospel, not that they're good in and of themselves, but they're people that are actually going to grow, are the ones who hear the word and they accept it. And their life, and listen to what it says, they bear fruit. Now real quick, just think about that right for a second because oftentimes we brush by it. What do you mean bear fruit? I think it could mean a few things. I could think it could mean potentially that they're going to go out and tell others about the gospel and bear fruit. I think it could also be referring to something like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, all those things, right? Whatever it is, you need to know this. The person is different. The person is changed. 
The person has a love for the gospel. The person has a love to go and share the gospel. And how do you know that they likely love to go and share the gospel and actually make a difference in their church and serve? Like, you know, here's a great plug right here. We're talking about servants for children's ministry. That's how you bear fruit. We need some servants in children's ministry. And I know there's not a whole lot of people here today and you need to go and bug the people who aren't here today and tell them we need some servants and we need to bear fruit. We need to bear fruit. And what will it do? Produce 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And the whole idea is as it bears fruit, whatever the fruit is, it produces and it grows and it grows and grows and grows and it affects everybody else. And it's awesome. It's like a big tree or a big bush of fruit, whatever your favorite fruit is. And it's great. That's what this church could be like. Instead, the reality is, like I said, this parable is probably more about us sometimes in the lost world. Most of us don't know the gospel. Most of us have responded for a moment. And some of us would rather go down by the beach than be spent and die for the sake of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to bear fruit. Last illustration, just to push this even further. If a plant, because that's the imagery that he's using, he's using a plant or a tree, is not growing, what is it doing? If a plant or a tree, as verse 20 talks about, is not growing, what is it doing? Someone say it. It's either dead or it's dying. And that's the same with a believer. The grave reality that Jesus wants to press upon every single person in his day and every single person in this room is if you're not bearing fruit, you are dead or dying. And I don't want you to die. I want you to live. I want you to believe the gospel and I want you to produce fruit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, would you work in us? Would this not be a parable to blind us any longer? God, would this change our church? I know, Lord, that there are so many in this world, in this church around who all they hear is a parable and nothing else changes. Change our church's life. Make it grow. That would produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. We love and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.